0: For today's story, we talk about a person who was charged with possession of a firearm, brought a case, and the government dropped the ball on appeal. But the Court of Appeals is here to rescue them despite their own incompetence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncivil Law, where we learn through the misfortunes of others. As always, I hope you'll enjoy this legal education content, and today will be the day I earn your subscription. But first, a huge shout out to this video's supporter, Aura. Aura is a company that can help you with identity theft protection and credit monitoring. When your personal information leaks online, you're at a higher risk of credit card fraud or identity theft, which means that your money and your reputation could be at risk right now. Aura scans the dark web looking for these threats and alerts you if it finds anything. With an easy to use online dashboard and alerts that are sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. So how can you protect yourself? Well, go to aura.com uncivil law to protect yourself from hackers, scammers, and nosy advertising companies among other threats. When you use my link below, rcom slash uncivil law, you'll get up to 40% off on all plans, plus a money back guarantee for new subscribers if you're not fully satisfied, which I believe you will be. rcom slash uncivil law to help protect you against the growing threats of credit card fraud and identity theft protection in this increasing digital age. For today's story, we are talking about the case of United States of America versus Denzel Russell. Denzel Russell was caught with a firearm in a traffic stop. He is not allowed to have a firearm. And Mr. Russell brings some complaints about the search and seizure of his car. Now, there are some issues here, although I don't necessarily think they ultimately go anywhere, but there are some issues here. But the main problem is that the U.S. government dropped the ball on its end. See, the reason I don't think it really goes anywhere is because the U.S. government's arguments, I think are better, but they didn't actually make the arguments. So there's a problem. But the U.S. Court of Appeals is gonna pretend the government did. So I guess we'll read this and learn a little bit more about how suppression works and how you know clear error works in a trial court and what happens when you drop a issue on appeal. The story begins in East Cleveland shortly after a vigil being held for a victim of a gang-related shooting. Anticipating there might be retaliation in response for the shooting, the police were on alert and sent out patrols. Denzel Rothschild attended the vigil. As he was ready to leave, he got into Akeem Faro's car and sat in the passenger seat. As they were patrolling the neighborhood, the police noticed the car slow rolling. The officer saw the car driving slowly, then suddenly speeding up. Suspicious the driver might be trying to avoid police detection, they pulled the car over. When they approached, the officers noted an open bottle of tequila in the car. So they removed the men from the car, frisked them, handcuffed them, and placed them on the police cruiser. Then conducted a search. What did they find? Two loaded firearms and two bulletproof vests. One firearm was under Farrow's seat, the under under Russell's seat. Russell and Farrow admitted to the firearms and vests because they were there. Okay, so we've got a situation in which people are going to a memorial relating to a gang shooting. The police obviously are concerned as gang members are assembling for a memorial that there could be violence related to that. So they send out a lot of police cars and our friends over here are part of that. Now they're doing this technique, which the police think might be to evade them. So they pull them over. They discover a bottle of tequila, open bottle of tequila which is enough, you know, to arrest. And then they do a search and they find guns and body armor, which is a bit of a problem because our defendant here is not allowed to possess them because he's a convicted felon. So there's that. Because of Russell's criminal record, the government charged him with being a felon in possession of firearms. Russell moved to suppress the contraband seized during the search. The district court denied the motion. The court gave two reasons why the search was reasonable. It explained the police had probable cause given the open container and they could conduct a protective search. Alternatively, the court held that even if the search was unreasonable, Russell himself still couldn't challenge it. That was because he lacked the Fourth Amendment standing. The court raised the issue of standing su sponte because the government failed to raise the argument. Unable to suppress the issue, Russell pled guilty. All right, so what's going on? What's going on? First of all, the district court is saying that there's two reasons this search is reasonable. One is because, you know, of the open possession of the tequila. And so that would give them a basis for the search, which it certainly would, right? It's a basis to arrest and therefore it's a basis to do an inventory search or a protective search or anything like that, right? It would be fine. But there's another problem because the defendant in this case was in the passenger seat. It wasn't his car. So the fourth amendment doesn't really apply to him because he doesn't have an interest in the car, but the government failed to mention that. But the district court just brought it up. su sponte. They just filled in the government's argument for them. Okay. I mean, all right. So how's the court of appeals deal with the fact that the district court just brought in this extraneous argument that, you know, for some reason, the government failed to mention, let's read more. Because the fourth amendment protects the right of the people to be secure in their person's house papers and effects against unreasonable search and seizure, a, the rights are said to be personal. So a defendant must show that, he own, his, that his own rights are infringed. Courts use standing as a shorthand for this requirement. Here, the government did not challenge the fourth amendment standing before the district court. Okay, so they said he had standing. To, to make the argument. Okay, but in this kind of standing, it's not the same as Article Three standing. So this isn't Article Three standing where you don't have standing because you don't belong in federal court. You do belong in federal court because it's a federal crime. So it's not standing in that sense. So this isn't the standing in the sense where a court can just bring it up at any time, like Article Three standing. So we use a term like standing as a shorthand. And so, if a government waives that issue, that shouldn't be brought up again, but apparently it can for some reason. Let's read more. Begin with waiver. Russell offers that the government waives any objections to his lack of Fourth Amendment argument by not raising it below. We disagree. The term forfeiture and waiver are sometimes rather used rather loosely, but the Supreme Court has made that there is a distinction clear. Forfeiture is failure to make a timely assertion of a right while waiver is intentional relinquishment and abandonment of that right. So in the law, we recognize two different things, forfeiting something and abandoning something, and they're different. Abandonment requires an intentional act to abandon. Forfeiting doesn't. It just means that you fail to raise an issue. You forfeit the argument. But because they're two different things, the courts treat them differently when it comes to the analysis. Thus, a party waives an argument only if it expressly abandons the issue. If an argument is waived, we don't consider it. True, the government could waive the objection to fourth amendment standing because it's a little bit different than article three standing. After all, fourth amendment standing is a merits question, not jurisdictional, like it is in the context of article three standing, which is a jurisdictional issue. This is a merits issue. To waive the argument, the government must either take some steps to expressly abandon it or fail to raise it in the first brief on appeal. The government's failure to raise the argument below was merely a forfeiture, not a waiver. That is because the government took no step to expressly abandon the objection. So the government didn't waive the objection to Fourth Amendment standing. Russell pushes back, as he sees it when he moved to suppress evidence. The government was on notice that he was invoking standing. I mean, obviously, he's he's saying it's my Fourth Amendment right. So, yeah. And not only did the government fail to object to standing, it also agreed... The issue before the court was narrow, dealing only with the reasonableness of the search, which sounds suspiciously like they're abandoning the standing argument and just want to go to reasonableness. They'll they'll concede that he has standing and just defend it on this other ground. That sounds like a waiver. So he argues it's waiver, but the court of appeal says, no, we're not convinced. Okay. Russell conflates waiver with forfeiture, even if the government was implicitly put on notice. It took no no action to abandon its objection in Russell's standing. Instead, by focusing only on one issue, it merely failed to object. Okay. And failing to object is not waiver, but forfeiture. Had the government, for example, conceded that they had a Fourth Amendment standing, that would have waived the argument, but apparently failing to argue it isn't the same thing for the government. Okay. Russell next turns to policy. He claims that if we allow the government to raise standing for the first time on appeal, we will deprive defendants of an opportunity to respond and will be giving the government a second bite at the apple. But we've already explained why these arguments are unavailing. True, the government gets a second bite at the apple, which seems problematic, but okay. But standing is an element of Fourth Amendment suppression claim anyway. So defendant bears the burn of showing they have standing, but. If they don't object, then okay. And on appeal, the defendant continues to show the burden of that. In other words, there is no worry that the defendant will be unable to respond because he has the burden of proving standing in the first place. But they didn't object. In sum, the government hasn't waived the objection to Russell standing. And since it properly raised standing in the first brief on its appeal, it can prevail if it meets the plain error hurdle rule. Turning to the plain error, the government must show the forfeited error was clear and affected its substantive rights. Now, right away, I want to take note here that we're talking about the government's rights, which is slightly odd because at least in my own conception, we talk about government power, but not government rights. People have rights. Government have rights too? Hmm. Instead, we have discretion to remedy the error only if it seriously affects the fairness, integrity, or public reputation of the judicial proceeding. Admittedly, plain error is an odd fit here. After all, it is generally the defendant, not the government, who receives a plain error review. But we've already held the government can benefit from plain error for its fortified claims. But I wouldn't view it as a substantive right, even if they can benefit from it. I mean, that they have that. Power, I, yeah, it's just, I I don't like that nomenclature. Indeed, we've noted for the language of the rule allows the court to take notice of plain error, even if the error wasn't brought to its attention by one of the parties. To show an error was clear, the government must prove the defendant plainly lacks standing, and the defendant has standing only if he has a Fourth Amendment interest in the property searched. Russell responds, it would be unfair to find that he lacked standing, since he had no reason to put forward evidence of standing. But this is not a worry here. As we've already said, the defendant bears the burden of establishing standing. And this burden continues even on appeal. So if the government doesn't object, Russell has the burden. And even if the government's litigating conduct gave Russell no incentive to put his best foot forward in the proceedings below, we still don't think there's unfairness here. After all, the government will prevail on its appeal in this context only if it can show the defendant clearly has no standing. And it's obvious from the record that Russell checks this box. He's admitted to being in the passenger in a car that he doesn't own, and he doesn't claim that context now. In fact, it's not apparent what evidence Russell could present that's to establish standing. On appeal in the face of a government argument, he hasn't told us what kind of evidence he would use to establish standing. So we are not persuaded that there's any unfairness here. Now, I kind of agree with the court in part. I agree with the analysis under the relevant Fourth Amendment law that he doesn't have standing because it's not his car. He's merely a passenger in the car. He doesn't own the car, so he has no interest in the car. So under the current Fourth Amendment doctrine, the Fourth Amendment isn't an issue here as it relates to that search. But the government never never raised the argument, so that, yeah, but they're able to do it now. So, uh, all right. Next, the garment must show that the error affected its substantial rights. Again, this is an unusual requirement. After all, it's far easier for a defendant to show violation of his substantive rights, which is not the same word as substantial. But as we've already know, the language of the rule doesn't distinguish between the garment and defendants. So just as with defendants an error in the garments, substantial rights, if the error affects the outcome of the district court proceedings. So yeah, the, the court of appeals might be confused here because they use two different words, which have very different meanings. They refer to a defendant and their substantive rights, which are things that are granted by the constitution. And they use them in the same breath as saying substantial rights. So I don't know what's going on here, but that seems like a bit of an oversight by the court of appeals. Finally, we only exercise our discretion to correct plain error if it would be seriously affecting the fairness, integrity, or public reputation of the judicial proceeding, not to. The government argues the standard is not an error as Russell's standing would lead to the suppression of firearm as evidence against Russell when none of his rights are violated. We agree. In fact, we find it hard to imagine a case where the government wouldn't be able to meet the standard if it had met it in others. But it's because you kind of screwed it up yourselves, which you know, should be the problem, but okay. As a passenger, Russell has no fourth amendment standing to challenge a search of the car. The government for some reason failed to make this argument before the district court, but that's okay. But it caught the mistake, raised the argument in its opening brief, satisfied plain error, so we affirm. Thus, that brings us to the end of the case of United States of America versus Denzel Russell. In this case, Mr. Russell was passenger of a car in which found was body armor and guns, which is a problem because he's not allowed to have guns. He moves to suppress. The government fails to point out the issue of standing. Hey, my Fourth Amendment rights were violated. And they just go, hey, the search was reasonable, but they never raised the argument of the fact that the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to him because it wasn't his car. But the district court fixed the mistake and the court of appeals is like, yeah, we're totally cool with that. So the evidence comes in and Mr. Russell goes to jail and that brings us to the end of discussion of this case. Thank you so much for being part of the Uncivil Law family. If you enjoyed this legal education content, please hit the subscribe button. It really helps the channel grow. We appreciate your continuing support and until later, my friends, cheers and goodbye.